So God's grace and his peace are yours on this Christmas morning. As I was researching stuff for the sermon today, I wanted to look at the status of Christmas in America. It's always interesting to take account of that, especially after the last couple of years that we've lived through, to see who's celebrating Christmas. What do people know about Christmas? And thankfully, there's a lot of data out there if you want to look into that. I'm kind of a geek about this sort of thing because I you know, look at history and stuff like that. But there's been about three or four surveys done about the state of Christianity, but also just simply people and what they believe about Christmas. So according to Pew Research, and this is, of course, a very reputable poll, the percentage of American Christians has fallen about 12% over the last 10 years from 75% in 2011 to 63% today. Uh, the number who pray every day is even lower at 45%. And then the demographic rising in this place, and this is really a continuing trend over the last decade of the so-called nuns who don't identify as anything in particular. This group grew to about 20% of the U.S. population in 2021. If you want to do the math on that, that means there's about 60 million people that claim nothing, which is interesting. You know, you, you, it makes you think about those words from Christ when he says things like, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Just something to think about. I have some other data. There's another famous polling group called Barna. Barna uh, has done this every 20 years, and it's the Christian Worldview Survey. So in 1991... 86% of Americans held an orthodox biblical view of God. Now it's down to 46%. Uh, believe that the Bible is the accurate word of God, that it's preserved, that it's his inspired word. Was it 70% in 1991? That's down to 41%. Possess a biblical worldview. It was only about 12% back then. Now it's about half at around 6%. So what does that do when it comes to this Christmas story? Well, again, another reputable arm, Lifeway, did research this year on Christmas. 90% of Americans actually are celebrating Christmas. You think that's great. 90% of Americans. And they're saying Merry Christmas. Merry Christ service? Really? Okay, 90%. But only 22% feel confident they could retell the story of Jesus' birth from memory. And 17% said they couldn't remember any of it at all. Which is kind of fascinating. So you have 90% of people celebrating it, but 17% of those can't even tell you what they're celebrating. It's fascinating. In that classic Charlie Brown Christmas special, of course, when Charlie Brown says, is there anyone that can tell me what Christmas is all about? Linus, of course, famously responds from the Gospel of Luke. According to the data that I just shared with you, we need more Linuses. We need more Linuses. So this leads to the question, and this is a little bit of a law point for us this morning, but how are we doing bringing that good news in a culture that so obviously needs it? We read that passage in Isaiah, which says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. This is the day in which we get to do that. And if I'm being honest about myself, I fail to bring this good news to my own neighbors at times. You know, if I, I was doing kind of a self-assessment, as I look down my street on, my, on the place in which I live, how many of my neighbors do I actually know, know what the Christmas story actually is? Just asking myself, my own self-assessment, or maybe even my entire neighborhood, how many of them know that full truth? Because if what we teach, believe, and confess about what happened in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago is not just a fairy tale for grown-ups or something that gives us warm, fuzzy feelings, but actually something that took place in real history, then there is, is there anything more important that we could share? And I would submit to you that right now we live in a culture that is really kind of ruled by fear. Right? We, we're, we're afraid of things. We fear disease. We fear death. We fear other people. <laughs> We feel, fear politics, we fear government, we fear our children's future, or fear for our children's future, rather. We don't want to be vulnerable. And in reality, we kind of fear ourselves, in a way. 
And so, since what we teach and believe and confess is true for all peoples everywhere, then we have an answer for those fears in our culture and experiences. One of my favorite single lines in all these Christmas carols that we sing is in that really simple one, O Little Town of Bethlehem, where it says, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That town of Bethlehem, all hopes, all fears are met there. And so in a culture that is ruled by all these fears, we need this truth. We need this story. And if this happened in real history, in a real geographic location, with real people in real history, this is more than something that makes us feel good once a year or just this kind of cultural thing we do to have fun with the kids every once in a while. This is the Word made flesh, God uniting himself to humanity in real history, and 17% of Americans don't remember any of it. So, something to challenge you a little bit this Christmas morning as we go into these next few 12 days of Christmas. Remember, Christmas lasts 12 days. Um, Pastor Dinger likes to tease Pastor Chris that his Christmas lasts for 250 days. He's raising his hand, right? But it is the 12, he got the power of salute there, okay? 12, 12 days of Christmas, 12 days of Christmas, something to ask yourself, are there people in your avenue? Not because you can do the work, the Holy Spirit does that, but can God use you to help make a dent in that 17% knowing who Jesus is and what we're celebrating during this Christmas time? And that word truth, by the way, is of course hated in our culture, or it's a fungible term. Truth means something that is real, that is real and right regardless of the person or the situation. Notice in all these scripture passages, so Isaiah 52 and in John 1 and in Hebrews 1, there's an emphasis on how Christ has universal supremacy, that God's salvation will be seen by all nations, that the creator of space, matter, and time itself enters history as a man. Because our culture wants to say that all religions are the same or that your truth isn't my truth or they're honorable absolutes, the Son of God coming down to us in real history is scandalous. Notice how in every Christmas, and this just happened, I looked it up, and I was right. It's like you can predict this. In virtually any mid-sized town or larger, so think Pocatello's size or larger, okay? Atheists and agnostics come out from the hills and tell everybody how dumb they are for believing the gospel accounts. Just read the newspaper columns. Happens every year. It galls us, and it galls them, not because of a lack of historical evidence or supposed contradictions, but because it tells the truth. We couldn't save ourselves so Christ added us to himself. Alec, do you have that jar here really quick? So, Pastor Dinger's going to be proud because I'm going to use an object lesson. Okay? <laughs> I almost never do this, but I'm going to do this today. Okay? He's giggling up here because he knows it's not my style. But actually, I think you'll like, like, like this. So, kids love these sort of events. And, you, and you, actually, even adults, right? You see these in a department store sometimes. If you guess the amount of beans or you guess the amount of M&Ms, and the exact amount that there's going to be, you're going to win a prize of some kind. Or you get to eat the M&Ms or whatever it is, right? And so, if you wanted to find out, I'm going to ask the kids this. My kids are in the front row, and I know Chris's kids and his other kids here. How would we, this seems like a very obvious answer, how would we know how many beans are in them? How many? How would you know? You would actually just count them, right? You can actually go and physically count the beans. Anybody got to guess how many are in this jar? What's your guess? You already know, so you don't get to guess. Any guesses? 325. That's Pastor Dinger's guess. Any other guesses? What was that? 325. That's what he said. 325. <laughs> 143. Any other guesses? Believe it or not, there are 743. 743 beans in this little jar. So you're all a little bit short. But this is something that we can check. So in other words, you can count them, I can count them, we can double check it, triple check it, 
and then we can establish the fact that there are 743 beans in this jar. Fair enough? Now, if I asked you what your favorite Marvel movie is or who's the best Marvel superhero, what would you answer? Thor, Captain America, Iron Man. There we go, Hawkeye. <laughs> My wife likes Hawkeye. Do you, see, do you see what I'm saying though? Now, here's the question I wanna ask you. Which of these things is the Christmas account? Or, or even more than that, your Christian faith? Is it more like the truth of the amount of beans in this jar? Or is it more like what's your preference in Marvel heroes? It's the first one. Because that's actually truth. Not just mere opinion. However, there's a philosopher who, uh, who's a pastor now in California from Notre Dame. He does this exercise with students and he has them write down their favorite songs. And he asks them, what is, your favorite, what, is, what is your faith like? Is it more like counting beans or counting M&Ms or like your favorite song? And 90% of the time they say it's like their favorite song. They think it's just, their, it's just personal preference. It's just your own opinion or it's just something that makes you feel good. Or it's like you see the whole buffet of world religions and you just take the one that tastes the best to you. That is not what we confess about the Christian story. We confess that it is true for everyone. Another great example I like to do, this one's a little bit more for the adults, and I, I didn't show this video because I didn't want to take the extra time on this Christmas morning, but there's a video from What Would You Say? It's a, a brilliant YouTube channel by the people who do prison fellowship ministries. So think Angel Tree, when we uh, give gifts to kids who are in prison, it's the same ministry. And they talk about what would, it, what would happen if you were out searching for mushrooms, and you were looking for the famous patty straw mushroom, that mushroom that's so loved in Asian cuisine. And as you were searching, your friends with you and as you get ready to pick a mushroom, they say, that's not a patty straw, that's a death cat mushroom. Now, what would you do? Would you say, I'm not gonna touch that thank you friend, right, for telling me the truth about this, because they look kind of similar? Or would you say, well, mushrooms have been a delicacy for a thousand years and I love them. From my perspective, they're all safe to eat. Think about it. Is the truth of that mushroom found in you or is the truth found in the object itself? And the answer every time is it's in the object itself. In fact, I tell my high school kids, this is a famous one that I say, and so I see Quincy up here, she'll recognize this. Um, <laughs> but if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? The answer 100% all the time is yes. Because the truth is found in the object, not in the person listening or bearing it. And so when we confess the truth of Christ, it is more like those truths. It is not a personal preference. It's not an opinion. It's based on objective truth for everyone everywhere. So if we want truth, Christ embodies it. It's not just a propositional statement. If you want truth, look in the manger, which we still love up here. Not the latest opinion column, talking hit, or a TikTok video. If you want truth, look to this baby's destination, which is behind me, which is the cross in an empty tomb. Look to the word made flesh, who in his own words is the way, the truth, and the life. At Christmas, we see and experience the truth in the flesh. And so I want to give you just a few thoughts here. That I don't have much more that I want to give you. I just want to kind of get you thinking about what this means. So these come from a variety of different people in the past. One is from a guy named Anselm. As death entered through one man's disobedience, so life is restored through one man's obedience. As sin came through the temptation of a woman, so salvation came through one born of a woman. As the enemy conquered humanity by tasting of a tree, so Christ conquered the enemy by bearing suffering on a tree. As Pastor said yesterday, it seems odd sometimes that we point to the cross on Christmas, but this isn't the end of the story, right? This is a journey that Christ goes on himself. 
Here's some other uh, thoughts. This is from Gregory, who my son's middle name, Lucas's middle name, is named after. What he continued to be, uh, what he was, he continued to be. What he was not, he took to himself. That's us, our humanity. From Augustine again, nor did he lose what he was, but he began to be what he was not. Or in Ambrose's words, according to our nature then, he offered himself that he might do a work beyond our nature. That is the truth that we celebrate on this Christmas. So what does Christmas do? Christmas changes lives. Christmas is God being born of Mary, that he may also be born in all of us. Just as Mary is the God-bearer from whom our Lord Jesus received his human nature, just so every Christian is a God-bearer. God chooses to take up residence in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives in our hearts through faith, and he changes us. He melts our selfish hearts and teaches us to give. He humbles us and conforms us to himself. He comforts us with the comfort which with we comfort one another. Giving himself to us, who were unworthy of his love, forgiving us all our sins by bearing them in his body, he changes us on the inside. He turns bitterness into forgiveness. He turns hatred into love. He turns vengeance into mercy. By assuming our nature, he forgives us and he transforms us. Wherever sin remains, he remains with us to forgive and forgive and forgive until the day we die and we put off this sinful body and await our resurrection in glorified bodies like that of our risen and ascended Jesus. Or in the words of Hark the Herald, which we sang at the beginning of the service today, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, and born to give them second birth. That's the truth that we confess this Christmas. Christmas is for sinners because it's how God makes us into saints. Merry Christmas, and to God alone the glory. Amen.